Hello and welcome to another episode of Kasama Hanko. My name is Chachi, your one and only host. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited, and this is actually happening in person. Um, I have one of a long time coming friend during the pandemic. I'm sharing a little about his growing up experience and just being here in Hawaii as a Filipino settler. And without further said ado, um, can I have our guests share a little um, share a little bit about us, about what they do, and just a short fun fa- fun fact about them. My name is Brian de Venecia. I am a Filipino immigrant here in Hawaii, born and raised in Manila, Philippines. And I am a communications professor, professional with the labor union at your local five. And we represent hotel workers and healthcare workers in Hawaii. And I also am an artist, a storyteller, a weaver, I'm quite involved in a lot of community uh, things. And recently got into filmmaking and acting. So I'm still trying to embrace that this newfound um, world of storytelling um, in a way. So, yeah, and fun fact oh my God, that's so hard. I am. I am an ocean boy. I take pride in reconnecting to my own um, Filipino culture through um, my connection to the ocean. Um, I love paddle boarding and just being one, I guess, with the ocean. Um, but we'll talk more about my connection to, to that side of my identity. So thank you again for having me. Thank you, Chachi. You've been doing- Yes, I am really honored and actually excited to have this conversation. Um, I know it's been a long time coming and we had the conversation on the side um, of the pod. But right now, before we even start, what title would you call the season of your life right now? And it took a while for me to think about it um, when you read that, when you sent that prompt. I think this season of my life is, uh, I call it season of becoming because um, the, the, the previous chapters of my life have been just on survival mode, you know, trying to survive, um, being an immigrant here in Hawaii and trying to find my way through capitalism <laughs> and all these issues in the world. And then I got to the point where um, I'm unstucking my life from that mode of survival. So um, I'm privileged to, to say that I'm in this point where I'm able to have the opportunities and the capacity to embrace who I really am as a person. So I think yeah, it is a season of becoming, and I, it's, it's not easy, but um, I just love being in this space where um, I'm at that point in my career where when opportunities come, like I'm more flexible to work on that. Let me know in the comments if you are also in the same season of your life. <laughs> yes, my name is Brian Yeah, you did it correctly, so thank you. Um, pronouns he and his, and I'm a, I work in a labor movement. I'm an artist, storyteller, a weaver, um, and an ocean boy. And thank you for having me. Yes, and I'm really excited to have this conversation because off camera we've been having really good side conversations. Um, today, I just wanted to a little bit like give a little background about 
what you currently are doing at the moment. Yes, um, I currently, my full-time job is um, doing communications for the labor union unit here Local 5, and we represent hospitality, healthcare, and food service workers here in Hawaii. And yes, I do their communications, so I make sure that stories of workers here in Hawaii are being heard, you know, um, and I work a lot with the media, um, with the news, um, sometimes national news, which is possible. Um, I train people how to share their personal story, how to talk to the media, how to be leaders in their own right in terms of being storytellers themselves. I believe that um, stories are powerful and that they are the ones who go side by side with the organizing as we fight for you know, capitalism, making sure that our workers have uh, um, better quality of life and uh, the working standards that they deserve. So that's the work that I do. Um, sometimes I uh, do art <laughs> when I have time. And I recently got into the world of filmmaking through acting. So that's something that maybe in the next few months I'll continue to explore. That's really exciting and that's really great to hear, um, especially with the acting part. We can talk more about it in the later of the conversation, but as of right now, because like a book, we have a story of our life. But right now, what title would you call the season of your life right now? The season of my life right now, um, and I can talk more about it later, but I, I'd call the season of my life the season of becoming. Always been, you know, trying to survive, being in survival mode, and then trying to thrive, being an immigrant here in Hawaii, um, trying to have a career, you know. Um, and I think now is, now I'm at the point where I am... I'm, I'm in a stable place where I can explore, you know, who I am as a person, my different identities, my different talents and skills, and really share them with the world. So that's the becoming piece. Becoming, becoming the person that you are meant to be. Very poetic. Um, I think as we go on and as you continue to answer the questions that I have for you, um, I'm going to start at light and easy. And first, I wanted to kind of like, like dig a little deeper into your history, your past selves, your past ancestors. Um, were there parts in your journey where you were ashamed of calling yourself a Filipino? Yes, several times actually, and I think it's normal, um, especially with all the traumas we carry um, with our identities, I think. But it's not like, I, I know for a fact that it's not coming from a place of hate, it is influenced by um, other factors. So I think it's both external and, ex and internal. So with the external piece is, I remember being with moving here in Hawaii and my very first, and I got into college in my very first English class. I was able to get into a regular English class and, and the first day the professor asked us to um, share where we were born, how much 
what's our work how much time do we allot in like other things like families work kids etc and as soon as she saw that I was born in the Philippines she suggested that I should drop the class and go to an English as a second language class which was really at that time it was really hurtful because it's coming from a place of you know preconceived notions that immigrants cannot um, survive or thrive in, in similar spaces as people who have English as their native language. So that's one 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 of the incidents when I was resentful that I was an immigrant, you know, and it was it's coming from a place of shame. And I've since confronted that emotion. I think it was valid what I felt that time. But now I'm more blunt and straightforward when people point out um, my different identities. I always tell the people that I work with because I work a lot with immigrants, especially, you know, hotel workers are full of immigrant workers and they're always insecure about the way they talk and, you know, their their, um, grasp of the language. And I always tell them, your English is not broken. Your language is growing. And yeah, I, I still use that with my own journey, you know, um, being a storyteller, you know, for a fact, because you are, you're, you're also doing it, but it requires deeper understanding of the language for us. Um, that was only the first part. <laughs> the second part is internal. It is because of the culture, the Filipino culture. Um, being a, being a, a queer immigrant kid, it was a lot of contradictions with traditional Filipino values, and we'll talk more about it for sure. But it was I've always been a rebel. Like growing up, I've always done or you know chose to do what what the opposite of what's expected of me. Um, and that goes with the Filipino culture as well. Like. I should be this, I should be that. Like I've always resisted those things. So um, I cannot, I, I won't say that I was ashamed that I'm Filipino, but I just res- resented what came with it. Part of it of like that part of our identity is really like getting to like on like where we came from and like, wow, like this is the, the things that I've experienced. And for you, that is something that, might have or not might but have hurt a lot and for you to um, really being able to tell your story and sharing that these are the little different things that not little but that grew into this kind of like that because you did mention that it turned into a little bit of shameful because like someone like literally told you like you came from the philippines okay this is not for you it's like this is not your place of belonging um and i think like like sorry keep going (laughs) no like go ahead go ahead it it is and it's not like a unique case um we experience this every day um as as immigrants you know the microaggressions of oh your english is so good or sometimes just being yeah we, we experience it every day and I want to understand, I want people to understand that just because it's normalized doesn't mean it's okay. Like I thought 
I thought at that time, like my professor was right, you know? But, yeah, and I remember um, I, I did not drop the class actually. Oh no, actually I dropped the class, but I took another English class, but it's not the second language class. Um, and it was the writing intensive English and with a different professor. And I did so well. And I remember um, after I got an A, I was crying in the library because it was the first time that I learned how to write, you know, and like learn about all this. I mean, we study English in the Philippines, but it was very different. Um, the form of writing here and like what's required. Uh, yeah, I remember crying in the library and actually thanking my professor for believing in me because, um, yeah, there are people who will, who will have preconceived notions of you because of who you are and your identities, but there's also people who believe in you. And I think I got lucky that I found more people who believed in me and helped take in me. Yes, and honestly, thanks to that professor that lets you in because it's because of them that gave you a chance when the other professor did not give you a chance to prove yourself not prove yourself but really let yourself shine quote-unquote shine yes and i think it was it was also that time when i was discovering that i love doing i love writing Actually, because of that incident, I took all the writing intensive classes when I was an undergrad. I took probably every semester I have a writing intensive class just because I realized that I love writing and I love improving that craft. And I still use it up to now, um, not only with like poetry or like with, with the work that I do. I write press releases. I help with like articles and stories, right? Um, but documenting stories is something that I realize I love doing. Um, yeah, it's all worked well. I gotta thank that professor who told me to grab that class. Like, hey, thank you. <laughs> because of you, <laughs> I um, discovered my gift of words and writing, I guess. So, thanks. Yeah. And I think this is really important for anyone that's listening, like, especially because a lot of us who are immigrants who are, who come here, um, we get this preconceived notion of like, oh, you came from another country, or you you are think lesser than them. But when you are given the chance to really like, oh, they came from another country, let's see what they can do, and let's continue to give them that reassurance. Like, I believe in you. Um, instead of like just like downing them just because you don't know where they came from. I guess that kind of like is like don't judge a book in the cover yes most definitely and even if it's not reflective of i have learned with you know being an organizer and doing communications work for years now i discover so many talents that you know i did not expect like people um some of our housekeepers last year um i helped train them how to how to write you know how to write articles how to write um op-eds and editorial pieces and just the the talent that they have even if they're very insecure about um the, the their grasp of the english language um the emotions are there the stories are there you know it's just a matter of making sure that they have the right tools to to tell these stories and i learned when i was a kid i'm not sure if it's correct but 
our our jaws um, develop differently um, based on our language, and that's why you know even even in the Philippines, right? Um, there are so many different languages, but that's why it's it's very hard to um, fix or change an accent because our our bodies develop with the way we communicate, and a lot of people their insecurities stem from the way they speak, right? Um, and having an accent, for example. Um, and I always tell people to never be, never be ashamed of that because that shows who you are and, you know, just so many experiences that you went through. But I guess my point is that does not reflect directly on their ability to tell stories and to write and to show emotions and to convey, you know, different feelings because I think, um, that is deeper than our our ability to communicate verbally and yeah that's ultimately like you're spreading like fire because i feel like that's something that someone needs to hear right now like we get this and we live we both live in hawaii and in hawaii we learn about this mock accent this a lot of it stems from the local comedians that make fun of our accents of like how can we pronounce p's and p's and f's and because of like what they created the stereotype that they created it kind of like made so many people um really like i'm not good enough or like oh i can't do this because i don't understand this or like i'm not as proficient because of like what they hear from like outside sources but with you trying to like sharing your story like no speak it speak speak even if you have an accent speak in your native tongue or write in your native tongue because it means so much like there's so many emotions that flow to it and it is it is a direct reflection of our our own histories right um when i hear I mean, there's so many Ilocanos in Hawaii, and I understand Ilocano, I cannot um, speak it, but even that, I, I the fact that um, when, when they speak Ilocano, even if I do not know them, I immediately now, let my head turn like to their direction, or even other languages like um, Cebuano or um, Pangasinan, uh, some of the languages here in Hawaii from the Philippines, um, it is... Our, our accents and the way we talk and like the way we even um, process words and emotions in our head. It is a direct reflection of our own histories and genealogies. And so I always encourage people, even if you're scared, do it because I have a lot of regrets in my life, but the things I regret the most are the words that I did not say. So another advice to younger folks is say it because you'll regret it if you don't say it the good stuff not the bad stuff we completely agree um i think one thing that i wanted to touch upon before we move on to the next question is like within like coming from the philippines um as not a young age, but like a decent age, like 15, 16. Um, have you, and I, I know you previously mentioned it, but like, have you struggled 
um, not struggle, but have you wanted to fit in um, with the other Filipinos that are here in comparison to like the Filipinos that came with you, like fit in here? Um, when my first year here, I was around Filipinos who also recently moved to Hawaii. And that was really helpful because at that time I was like learning about um how to survive here you know like how to like having connections to get a job in order to go to school and survive um i never found myself wanting to fit in with like the diaspora filipinos the people the filipinos who were born here or came here when they were younger um although i became friends with them in college like i told my, my best friend now my best friends now are um, immigrants or were born here, and yeah, I, I I don't know. I think just I think because early on I was able to, um, like confront that my years in the Philippines influence who I am now and how I how I make decisions and how I interact with people and how I keep relationships. And if I was born here, I'd be only because, only because I'm not saying that the people, the, the Filipinos who were born in Hawaii are that way. But if I was born here and I did not have my experience in the Philippines, I'd be, I'd be more boring. <laughs> Less like this. <laughs> yeah. Because, be, because of the, the privilege of safety and, you know, um, opportunities and resources. And yeah, I mean, it would be better and you know, that could be easier, right? But I think the struggles I had in the Philippines and the stories of my family um, re really shaped who I am, yeah. And also if I was born here, I'd be like more disconnected with my culture in the Philippines and I would not want that. That you bring up, um, one thing that you brought up and I wanted to kind of like acknowledge is like if you were born here, you would be kind of like less like this. Um, in terms of like being here, you are kind of like you're more in tune, I guess more in tune of like what's going on here. Um, in and in comparison to like if you weren't born here, um, it'll be taking you kind of like years and more of like getting to know of like where you are, like what's going on in the situation. But it's easy to see that now, even if you weren't born here, how deeply connected you are with the island and like the, how much you know the issues that are happening here, like you're very well versed in each way. So I think part of it is like you really like allowing your, outshining, your, not outshining, but like really reflecting with what you've went through with your family, your struggles, and like find, finding the solidarity between them. Yes. Um, how do I say this? I, I think identities and issues, they're all, they all exist. I think identities and issues exist, you know, like whether I'm here or not, like problems in Hawaii exist, problems in the Philippines exist, you know. Filipinos exist. Um, it's our um, it's our orientation to those things that influence like how we act. You know, um, so for example, with the issues of um, Red Hill, for example, and water here in Hawaii, right? 
Um, if I am a Filipino who just moved here recently and like my priorities are to to find a job for my family back home, like and it's very difficult to to have that in, in, in my priorities as a person, like how do I fight for water? And that's just the reality. And we see that in your industry right now. It's, I think it's a really good segue that as much as um, we want everyone to be in solidarity and to fight for water, like people are in survival mode and um, it needs more education and more organizing and more push to get them to the, to a place where they identify this as a priority and how it impacts them. Um, compared to the people who are here and in much better place in terms of resources and privilege, you know, it's it's easier for for them to do something or to to, to share or to to be an activist in this fight. I'm not saying that those those groups are are different people at the end of the day we are fighting for the same things but Because we're focusing into your story, um, let's talk about a little bit about your family history. About who in your family um really grounds you the most, and I think part of that part of sharing it, um, really reflects on you. Um, who in my family grounds me the most? Definitely my my grandmothers, both my 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 dad's mom and my my mom's my my paternal grandmother is the only one who's alive right now. She's my only grandparent. Who's still alive, but my grandmother on maternal side, my maternal side, she's the very first person who made me fall in love with storytelling. Um, I remember when I, I was a 25th grandkid, but even if I have a lot of cousins, only on my mother's side, there's 28 of us, and even even so. She took care of all of us. And I remember growing up with her because, yeah, I was a rebel and a rascal as a kid. So every summer, my mom would send me to our province in Isabella to, you know, be with my grandmother. And she told me stories about um, the war back in 1930s, 1940s, because she was, I think, um, a young, or she's a teenager when the Japanese forces occupied the Philippines. So she would tell me those stories. Um, she would shave her head and appear dirty and, and ragged so the, the, the American soldiers would not like harass her. And I remember her telling me that she used to wash their clothes um, and that's how they survived, you know, living in bunkers and trying to not get hit by um, bombs and warplanes. And I carried that with me I think it was, it's a big part of how I, like my passion to tell stories now is because my grandma, my grandmother told me her story when I was young. And yeah, my other grandmother on the paternal side, she is, 
she moved here when in the in the 80s um and i guess she, she she's the one who connected me to my ancestry and my my family's history on the paternal side and yeah both of them really grounds me and every time i'm stressed out or i'm i'm feeling really low i remember my grandmothers because they're really the winds that like pushed my waves and lift me up so yeah our lolas our lolas are amazing they really are amazing and like just hearing you talk about your grandmothers i can really feel moved and how much they shape you so much and because i remember i i remember um they are their memories are a reflection of water which is who you are um and i still remember that to each day like every time that we have this conversation um like water moves so much and i think you became that next wave and for your descendants to come like how much more waves you'll make the ripples i'm happy you, i'm happy that you remember that because i forgot about it <laughs> I, I i remember a lot of uh, what people tell me but not what i say so thanks that was something that's really memorable for me whenever you would tell your story because now that when i look at look at water it's different it really makes you reflect because water can be a form of healing but water mm -hmm. can be in a form of destruction but yeah it's devastating yeah but sure. the thing is water is all moving it keeps us alive it's a memory and memory can be either good or bad and similar to water water is all all around <laughs> similar to history yeah, yeah it's, it's always it's always a metaphor a really good metaphor for me um and i use it a lot in my storytelling always using water even even in poetry and you know journaling i always go back to water because not only because I love the ocean and have I feel a deep connection to it, but um, historically my my family are ocean peoples. Um, yeah, there were there were sea peoples in northern Luzon, you know, settled in the coast of Lingay, coast of Lingayen, Pangasinan, and you know it, it is it was a journey getting back to to who we are and i'll talk more about going back because i know i i know that you're going to ask that question <laughs> um and you can cut that part but um yes, cut. <laughs> yes it, it it is it's a it's it's my favorite element um i'm a water boy uh yeah sorry can move to the next question no yes definitely and I wanted to kind of like add on is like, how would you say you understand your Filipino culture and what parts of your culture you are still fascinated by, even to this day? I understood my culture. Um, like, sorry, I'm gonna, let me start again. 
I can say now I have a deeper understanding of my own culture, you know, to the extent of my genealogies and my my ancestries. Like I shared, um, my my father's side, my sister and my father's side are sea peoples in northern Luzon. Um, we settled in the coast of Lumbay and Pangasinan, and that's where um, the the Venetians are. Yes, I'm connected to that political dynasty, but um, I've been, um, I've, we are like so far from, from that family now. And my my mother's side um, are from Isabella, so they're Ilocanos, but I think they're, their ancestry are from Ilocos. I've never been to Ilocos, and I know a lot of Filipinos in Hawaii are from Ilocos, but that's my connection to the, to the Ilocanos and the Pangasinan. Um, my great grand uncle was the first of my family to be here in Hawaii. Um, he was one of the Sakadas in 1920s. He worked at the sugar plantation. And he was also born in Manalam, Pangasinan. And he he was here in the 19, I think 1922. And so my family has been here for a for hundred years in Hawaii. Um, and I guess being Ilocano and having ancestry from Pangasinan and all these like different geographic locations, I'm still very fascinated about um, the, the myths and the stories and the different arts that they have. I've always been um, fascinated with the weaving, um, especially in on that part of the Philippines. You know, there's like different types of weaving. weaving. And the food, I miss the food a lot. Uh, there's always different versions of different stuff. And even here in, in Hawaii, because I understand Ilocano, but I think because I spent more time in Isabella, um, the Ilocanos are different compared to the Ilocanos here who are from Ilocos. There are words that I don't understand that I have to learn like, what is that word? I think one of them is like kabil, which is like to punch. I think, the, am I right? Yeah, we, we, we don't, I never encountered that word when I was growing up. So it's so interesting, just the, the, the difference and the similarities, even if it's the same language. Um, yeah, I think understanding our own culture is, is a lifelong process. And I'll never get to the point where I'm like, I can say that I'm fully, um, verse or realized with my with the Filipino culture because there's more to learn not only being an Ilocano or being being from northern Luzon right it is there's so many different uh cultures in the Philippines that influence who we are uh so I'm not sure if I answered the question <laughs> No, you, I think you exceeded and answered more than one of the questions, but that's okay because that tells me more about who you are as a person. And I think, like, just like taking it bite size, um, especially when you went down to your family too, um, and then to the, the like, the language, the linguistic approach, um, even the when you describe your father, your mother, your great great your great grand uncle like all I see is waves like oh this is all waves and what when he told me like this part of my last name I grew from it because you learn from it and I think 
one thing that we as Filipinos don't really think about as, as often is like where our last names came from and where it deeply when that they have a significant meaning um, and I think that's part of it is like like what you said like being Filipino like knowing about the culture it's not just one set and done like oh this is just one thing no there's just more to like go it's like school like there's more to go it's depending on like how you how you can take it <laughs> yeah the last names are really interesting because um I think a lot of Filipinos, when I talk to them, and you know, they have Spanish last names. That you know, some of them, some of them say they have Spanish ancestry and all that. But uh, I think it was—I forgot the year. I probably like sixteen seventy-three or something. When you know, I think it was Claverio, the the Spanish governor. I'm gonna butcher this. Um, just correct me. Uh, when when the Spanish um colonizers forced everyone to to adopt a spanish surname right and that's when we lost a lot of the filipino names and i think about that a lot because it wasn't only and we go back to to the never-ending uh conversation about colonization it's not only histories and people that that, that we lost it's also names and names hold so much stories and histories so i've always i've always wondered what what was my family's name before before it became the Venezia. But even that, it's very fitting because um, I look into this and Venezia actually is from the Latin um, word for, for, for sea blue, and which is very fitting because I, I feel like um, I feel like my ancestors still tried to adopt a name that is connected to who they are as ocean people. Even if even if they had to let go of their identities and their histories, so kudos to my ancestors for connecting us to the ocean until now. Um, you make such a good point. Well, like what you're bringing up, especially with like the names, like when you told me like what does Dominic like your last name, what does it mean? And I'm like, hey, that's what you. That's literally what you just told me you described yourself to be. So like thinking about of our ancestors and thinking about like why they chose the name is so fascinating because it does connect to who we are. And it just takes a little like reflection and takes a little like initiative for us to like really look back into our history and how can we like I guess quote unquote, how can we reclaim our identity? <laughs> Yes, most most absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't have any other comments. Sorry, <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> no, yes, I think my question was like, how do you? What does it mean for you to reclaim your Filipino identity? Oh, oh, oh is that a question already? I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Let me re-ask it. So what does it mean for you to reclaim your Filipino identity? Um, I remember being in the same predicament the last time you asked me. Um, yeah, to me, reclaiming the Filipino identity uh, is, is going back. It's going back to, to who you are, you know? Um, 
with with the work that I do now and with the storytelling that um, I share and I do, sorry, with the work that I do now and the storytelling that I do, I always say that all struggles are about power. And that's that's so true in, in many ways, but I think even reclaiming is connected to power because for the longest time, you know, like our histories and who we are as peoples who were colonized for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And we lost so much. Um, I think our greatest grief really is our disconnection to our histories and our culture. At least for me, that is my greatest grief. And reclaiming my identity means that getting back my agency to access my own histories, my own resources, and my own people. Um, I won't say that we're lost as people. It's just inherently difficult to be Filipinos. And I shared this before that um, being a Filipino is kind of like being in a video game. And while you're doing the, the main story, there are like side quests and this comes with like tradition, identities, histories, family values, you know, um, dealing with all the traumas that we carry as colonized people. And there's more additions when you move to a different country or you are diaspora, right? Um, there's just so many layers to unpack. And that is part of the process of reclaiming is the more you get to know who you are, the more you get to know about your history, your family, your genealogies, you know, your your responsibility, your kuleana in wherever you are, whether you're in Hawaii or like any other places you are, the more you regain that agency to to go back to who you really are as a person. Um, that was my process. I thought that I knew everything I need to know about being a Filipino, but the reality is uh, what I learned in our history back in the Philippines is not always accurate or it's not the full story and I had to spend so many years, you know, trying to learn the truth, you know, especially with our history here in Hawaii, for example, which I shared a while ago that my one of my ancestors was a plantation worker. Like even that reflects so much in the work that I do now in the labor movement. So yeah, reclaiming Filipino identity for me is regaining that agency and power to be who we are as peoples. Damn, that was better than last time. <laughs> I have to take a moment because that's really good. I mean, everything that you said so far is like really, really good. And like, it got me a way to think where I haven't thought before. Like what you, what you describe about like the video games and like a lot of Filipinos can relate to this because I know a couple of people who are in the video game industry, but what you literally said, like being Filipino is literally being in a game. Like we, there's so many levels, there's so many challenges. And like what you said really stood out to me the most. Um, I don't know, I'm gonna really take that to like more deep, not deeper, but like that is, you make such a good point. Like being Filipino, like our identity is either attached to our histories or like the Filipino values, the traumas that came with us 
but beside of that, there's also like the NVIDIA, like, I'm not a video game person, but like like those pluses, like those coins, like those wealth, all of those like good things. But in the side, we also have to realize that it is being able to like come to understand like who we are as a Filipino is being able to like grow together as a community. Yeah, and it's it's never going to be um like like singular path to to discover your identity, especially with us. Um, to me, for example, the only I don't have a family tree. Like the the, the sorry, <laughs> I don't have a family tree. I can only go back up to my great grandparents and like my ancestors before that. I don't know their names. You know where they're from. I mean, I know where they're from, but you know I don't have that access to my own genealogy. And I know for a fact that a lot of Filipinos are also in the same predicament where, um, because we were colonized and for so many generations, our ancestors only focused on trying to survive. Um, that's something that I had to confront and make peace with is, yeah. I, I always wonder like, why didn't you record um, our, our history, I, I always ask my, my, my grandparents before. Then um, I realized that you can only do so much when you're trying to survive. And I guess my message is don't be too hard on yourself if you cannot find that, those identities, those histories, because not, not all of us have the privilege and access to, to those things. Um, but that does not mean that you're less Filipino. That doesn't mean that you're less capable of, of reclaiming that power and that agency back. Um, a lot of a lot of the the growth and the reclaiming is actually the choices we are making for the future. Like for example, I have a nephew now and I I make sure that he goes to swimming classes, he learns about Tagalog, um, because generations before us could not swim and we are ocean people <laughs> you know our ancestors were, were um, people who followed migrations of bonus and like started this commercial like production of like seafood like in that part of of the island and we lost that over years not only because we were forced to move out of that um land or our ancestral lands but because of so many different things you know again our people trying to survive and now i i was the one who introduced him to the ocean and he was like eight months old and he really enjoyed it and now he's trying to learn how to swim and you know that's one way to i think to give back and make sure that our legacy and our history continues um and a lot of reclaiming the Filipino identity is going to be the things that we're going to do to in the future. Um, how do you tell more stories, more of your stories? How do you make sure that traditions, you know, perpetuate and live on even if we're gone? So yeah, I think I shared with you that I try to hang out with my grandmother um, on the weekends and try to learn her recipes. And she insists, just tell me, 
just tell me um, what food you want and I'll cook it for you. And I'm like, no, if you die, I won't know how to cook it. So I gotta learn. So I really just try to be there and document her cooking and all her recipes. And yeah, that is a big thing of going back by going back by moving forward. I think like it really taught me to think about is um the concept of utang naloob. Um and this utang naloob is like the meaning of it is the depth of inner selves, but the the deeper meaning to it is the let's try this again reciprocity of like being able to just um going back into who we were but also being okay if we don't if we if it's like going back but what what she said like not being so hard on yourself when you have limited access but also giving ourselves the grace of like this is what we know so far but also like allowing ourselves to like ask questions to the people around you that has connections and that will point you to the right direction and in that way you're not also learning yourself but you're also learning oh this is what they went through and it's like this shared struggle that really kind of like gives us power like what you have been talking about yeah yes definitely i fully agree and if you think about it all of our ancestors because of our generation now right we are um in relative peace but our, our ancestors they went through years and years of occupation and colonization and violence and war like they they lived their life so that we could be here, we could survive, right? And I think people forget that we are also going to be someone else's ancestors. Like what's what's our responsibility to make sure that they have something to look back to, even if we did not have those things. And yeah, I think that's part of me being a storyteller and always trying to um, document stuff and try to, um, not repeat that cycles of not knowing because again that was my greatest grief is not knowing about the past and not having connections and, and access like what you said to my family's history um beyond my great-grandparents and yeah i think what reclaiming is both power and responsibility And to kind of like segue into uh, this is what are some advice you would give to your 12-year-old self, the 12-year-old Brian that is, because when 12-year-old Brian, you were still in the Philippines, what advice would you give to your younger self? My advice to 12-year-old Brian is to eat what your grandmother gave you. <laughs> um because yeah and it's both literally and um figuratively is 
try to spend as much time with with your grandparents only because now I only have one grandmother and now I've learned that's why I spend as much time as I can with her but I wish I I spent more time with my other grandmother you know um not only learn about her traumas and her life during the war but I wish now that I knew about her happiness, you know, her dreams, um, because again, she was stuck in survival mode for her whole life, but that does not mean that she did not have dreams or she, she did not have like aspirations in life. And I wish I, I knew, I wish I was able to like talk to her about those things. And not only because of history and, you know, all that, but I realize being, as I go through that process of reclaiming my identity, I realize that we carry not only the traumas of our ancestors, but also their whole spectrum of emotions, like their happiness, their their comfort, their jealousy, um, their their ability to survive in so many ways, you know. Um, I guess I just wanted to make sense of what was passed on to me. And so, and the reason why I said eat what your grandmother gives you is because when I was, um, my, my grandmother partly raised me. And when I was a kid, um, I loved shrimp and she used to cook it a lot for me. But when I was, I think, starting to be, I was a teenager and, you know, um, the things that you like changes and you you get to explore more things. I remember visiting her. I was probably 13, 14, and she cooked this shrimp um, for me and I did not eat it. And that's one of my biggest regrets in my life is because um, I, I bet my grandmother was really afraid that I did not do that. And yeah, so to the younger Brian, if you were dumb for not eating that shrimp, I bet it tasted so good. But it learned your lesson. So <laughs> um, yeah, as much as we can, try to spend time with grandparents, um, learn more about their histories, because that's always been a thing in any cultures, you know, elders are the people who give advice and wisdom. And, we don't realize how much of how much of them we carry as people every day. I still I, I'm still realizing that like why am I like this? Why am I thinking this way? And a lot of it is because my ancestors did it the same way, or you know, had to had to learn how to survive in a different way. And whether we acknowledge them or not, like we carry and embody so many of those things. I like that a lot. And to the younger Brian, I think he's just savoring at the shrimp right now. And it's like, but I want to ask like, so side, side comments is like, had you, what what type of shrimp was it? I think it was like just sauteed shrimp. I think in the Philippines, I, I think because it is it's very expensive. Like we don't have a lot of 
dishes other than maybe sinigang or like cooking it with coconut milk or other stuff. But I think it's just one of the sauteed shrimp. And I used to love those as a kid. Yeah. Well, if you go back home, you can find the salted shrimp and you can tell your grandma, like, I finally ate it after all these years. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so last but not least, um, and it's been really fun, like, being able to, like, hear your stories and, like, really go back with you, with your stories from the past to the present and to the now. And I think all of it, uh, overall, I just wanted to ask if you could describe your personality in a Filipino food, what would it be? Yeah, I think I'm going to be a seasick only because it's one of my favorite Filipino dishes. But also, there's so many different versions of it. That's one thing. And also, um, it requires so much work. You know, you have to prepare the meat, you have to chop all the, the ingredients, the onions, the the chilies, the ginger. Um, it requires so much work, um, at least if you do it manually. Now you can use a, a, a processor, but I prefer to do it manually. Like those ingredients alone are so good, like blended together. It just creates this whole different flavor, whole different dish. That's what I love about it because it just reflects so much of who I am as a person. Um, I do so many things and I, I think I am a jack of all trades, you know. I dabble into um, different forms of creative stuff like I do arts um, I try to make poetry I write I got into acting and all that different stuff right so um, but before that was one of my insecurity is like why can't why can't I just focus on one thing and be good at it um, and then over time you know I, I grew to be proud of knowing so many different things um, because I think it just it just they they all complement each other, you know, the, the skills and talents and knowledge. And it just makes me who I am um as, as a person. And yeah. I forgot to talk about water. <laughs> um, yeah, well I'm just I just gonna go back because we we referenced it so many times during the conversation. But um yeah, water to me is is so. I don't know if you can just insert this anywhere, but water for me is uh, my connection to water is so deep, and I remember being asked this question. I think in one of the conferences that I was a part of the panel, like how do you how do you lay roots as a Filipino in Hawaii or you know as as a diaspora Filipino and. I know it's coming from a place of finding your identity, you know, finding finding who you are and planning about how to leave how to leave your, your legacy for the future. But my answer was you don't have to. You don't have to lay roots, you know. I think the 
the the metaphor of Lady Roots itself is is quite um, how like, like it has impact when you think about it. When when plants roots, they change the soil around them, and that's always that always influenced my awareness of being a settler here in Hawaii. You know because as we fight for like indigenous rights and and um, sovereignty and against colonization and settler colonialism and capitalism and all that imperialism. Um, you think of our, I think of my responsibility as a settler in Hawaii. Um, but at the same time, that does not mean that I don't care about the future that I will leave, you know. Um, and my answer to the question was, no, you don't have to lay your roots. Um, you can ripple sideways like water because water, I think, is, you know, more flexible. It's, it, it, it's like you said, it's both healing and destructive at the same time. Um, and it's less, it, it's less, um, I guess, it can appear without so much destruction and changing of um, what's already in there. So yeah, I that's why we, we reference water so much is because when we think about who we are and our identity and how we plan about the future, we, we use plants as an example, right? Like laying roots and like having branches and all that, but those are what um, invasive species do. <laughs> we don't want to be like invasive species. We want to be more life-giving, like water. And that good enough. <laughs> I was going to transition of like, why does water mean so much to you? But I will oh, kind of add okay. in to the edit. Um, but definitely, like now that I think about water, water has so much. Um, and even like I want to ask, like, can water feel emotions? Because I feel like it can, because water is able to respond to human emotions, thoughts, words, and written message. Like, there is this one scene in Frozen Two when El when Olaf said, "Like, water is yeah. memory." Um, when he sees it, when it melts, like it it shows so much emotions like if we can just freeze our memory if you unfreeze it there's so many memories behind it that is attached to us and it kind of like is healing in a way yeah i i, I read about um a study about that i think they because of frozen and i think it's it's been a lifelong um question you know if water holds memories and they could not prove it correct but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. <laughs> um, I believe so. I believe water has memories. And can you imagine, you know, just like it's been to so many different places, um, different states, you know, um, not states as like the United States, but like different physical forms. <laughs> um, again, right, like being in the atmosphere, being in the ocean, being inside like li living beings. And being frozen in, you know, tundras and poles and glaciers. So, can you imagine just like being in so many different places and not carrying any of them? Like, I believe it has 
it can hold memories. Um, and we're made of water, so why, why is that, how is that not, not possible at all? Um, and also, I think when I was a kid, I read something about, I think it was, um, it was a philosophy either in Buddhism or, or Taoism is that water represents humility because it always seek, seeks the lowest place. And I carry that um, when I was growing up is be like water. Like you can be life-giving and healing and be, be humble, but at the same time, you can be strong and devastating when you have to be. Definitely. I feel like when it comes to water, water is something that gives us, gives us, where am I going with this? Oh, here you go. It's so funny because um, what I've learned in health so far is like we are 99% of water. So we as humans, we are water and we have memory. So I think mean, that's what I just wanted to add. <laughs> And wanted to kind of like close this interview um, because this this is something that I wanted to close off this podcast. The same this phrase, the last one that I mentioned, and this is from the Alala of the Native Hawaiian from the Kanaka is Oia Inana Mai Ana Marka, while the eyes still look round which is while a person is living, treat him kindly and learn from what you can from him. And I think this is just a beautiful way to end this podcast interview with you because we talk about so many different things about memory, about water, about the ocean, and it just gives you so much to reflect like water. Yes, most definitely. And last but not least, because you did mention and because I do wanted to give you the opportunity to promote a little bit about yourself and what you do and how can we best support you? Um, <laughs> which is always hard because, you know, like I do the things that I do not to like, um, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I just do not, I, I'm so used to being behind the camera, not like in front of the camera. So this, this is all new. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I think my Instagram is Bryant, B-R-Y-A-N-T dot D-V. And my Twitter, just find me on Twitter. And uh, I'll try to post more art. And hopefully when I have more time, I'll be able to like get to the point where I can share them um, either through prints and other stuff, but that's always the goal. Um, and I mentioned that I was a part of this feature film, my partner. Um, it's, I think it's gonna be out in a few months. It is the first BL film set in Hawaii. And it's a story about Native Hawaiians and you know, Filipinos. And 80% of, of our lines are in Tagalog and Olalo uh, Hawaii. So it's really telling a story of, you know, youth and people living here grounded in our own culture, our language. So hopefully 
um, people support that. Um, my partner, you can follow my partner, the movie on Instagram, and I think it's also on Facebook. And yeah, follow this podcast because this is amazing. It's such an amazing platform to have a conversation, delve more into our culture as Filipinos. And uh, this is just a few of those spaces where we can talk more um, intimately and more straightforward um, because more critically, I mean, because I think that's what requires in order for us to fully understand who we are is being critical about what we know. Um, and I really appreciate you, Chachi, for inviting me and doing all this because it's amazing work. Um, so much of these stories will stay here for a long time and it takes a lot of work to capture all these. So thank you. Yes, thank you again. Um, it's been a journey, two and a half years. Um, and, yeah. And it's so funny how this started because I just, I just wanted to kind of like, I'm tired of looking into books because books change and what doesn't get captured is the stories of our people, the stories of who were here, the settlers that were here, the transplants, and even the people who are here that doesn't get the opportunity to share their stories. And it's just amazing to like not follow any structure, not have anyone limit you. And I think that's something that I'm like grateful for is like this is a this is the platform like this is the yes, this is the questions that we had that I gave you but along the lines we will not follow the structure because it's really how like the conversation will go and it's different from our people and like that's how that's what I've noticed like every single people that I've got here yes I gave them all the same questions but depending on who you are and depending on like how close and also like how comfortable you are with sharing your stories it's different like you have to like really like understand where they're coming from and like it, it's it's really nice for me to like be to be here with you and to, to be in the present moment yeah thank you um and i think yeah these questions are amazing i remember when i first saw them i was like how am i going to answer these questions without even crying um but i think it is you know uh a reflection of who we are as people we're like so different so diverse and all the more reason to not put us in in a box or define the filipino culture in just a singular manner because we're like a wide range of um not only ethnicities language cultures food music histories it is it is a whole other world actually that even me you know i i never really explored the south for example and that's something that i um one of my in my in my bucket list when i finally visit the philippines is to explore the south because i've never been um so thank you uh these questions are so deep and you know it, it really forces you to to think deeper and yeah i really appreciate this thank you so much yes, i would like to